I feel like I've, I've dreamt of what it would be like to run under three hours for years. And I didn't expect it to happen at CAM. Like this was not on the calendar. This was not in the plan. I envisioned it to be at Chicago and it wasn't. And so honestly, to cross that finish line and to see my, my friend and assistant coach, Nicole, who, who was actually in the hotel room with me right after Chicago, like at my lowest point and at my highest point, it was just like, that was the way I dreamt it to be. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 65 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Ein Bui has been on a quest to break sub three and would dream about what that would feel like while pushing through her toughest workouts. When she arrived in Chicago off what felt like the perfect buildup, the universe had other ideas in mind, and she had to walk off the course at mile 14 and take her first DNF. It was physically painful, humbling, and Ein felt like she had let herself coach and closest supporters down. Ein asked her coach, Matt Hensley of Boulder Underground, if they could take another crack at CIM, and he advised her to focus on getting healthy. This is where Ein put her unique skills as a doctor of physical therapy and certified strength and conditioning coach to use. She built her own rehab program with a big focus on PT and strength and worked tirelessly to get back to running. It wasn't a certainty she would run until five days before CIM, but through incredibly hard work, she arrived healthy with no expectations just eight weeks after Chicago. On race day, she met up with Anna from New York City and friend Kim at mile three, and they worked beautifully together as a team. Against all odds, she got to have that day she had been dreaming about, running 258.33, smashing the sub-three barrier. The agony and ecstasy of running just eight weeks apart. Tears of joy, hugs, and celebrating with her assistant coach Nicole and coach Matt, who were both there to support her in Chicago and now at the finish line at CIM. So many lessons learned in this one. When Ayn isn't crushing races, she's deeply involved in the running community, operating her PT practice out of Renegade Running in Oakland, leading Wellness Wednesday workouts focused on injury prevention, strengthening, and mobility. She's also a USATF-1 run coach who understands how all of these areas need to come together to be the best running version of yourself. Hoping she follows through and publishes that rehab program as we discussed on the pod. I'm so excited to follow Ayn's inspiring journey. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Ayn Bowie, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here, Ron. It's great to see you on the on the Zoom screen. I mean, these these conversations weren't nearly as fun before Zoom saved me. I was getting bored. It, they all used to be face to face, and then I had to shift over because of you know COVID and all the craziness of life. But thank God for Zoom, man, because now we could see each other and hang. Exactly. We haven't seen each other since like 2016, maybe 2017. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. So I ran for Central Park Track Club and maybe still is 
Um, and we met at workouts, uh, probably a Tuesday or a Thursday workout in the park, if I, my memory serves correctly. And forgive the old guy because memories tend to go a little on the 60-plus group. But I'm pretty sure it was a tempo run on a Thursday night, cold night. And we were, I don't know what the hell we were doing, but it was a hard workout. And I just remember trying to roll with her and a couple of her friends and maybe just being able to hang with them and make it through a workout. But we had the best damn workouts. Our team was so strong. And anytime you could show up there, you're always better for it, right? Absolutely. And I think, gosh, when I joined the team and met you, I was still like a 330 marathoner. Love it. So we, we've, come, we've come a long way. Yeah. Awesome. So give the Run Chats audience a little background on yourself, kind of where you grow up, family life was like, you know, where you're living today, stuff like that. So I grew up in the Bay Area. I was originally born in Vietnam and my family and I immigrated to the Bay Area when I was two. So my parents, my two older sisters and I, it was um, 1993. And so we always, we settled in the Bay Area. Um, My dad was in the Vietnam War. And so he was in the refugee camps for seven years. And so um, we were able to immigrate as refugees. Um, And then I got into running in middle school and then more seriously in high school and then on to college. And then in the last 10 years, I've I've kind of jumped around all over. So um, I ran at UC San Diego, lived there for a couple of years, and then I moved um, to New York City, which is where I ran with Central Park Track Club for a couple of years. That's where I completed my physical therapy degree at Columbia University. And then after that, I jumped over to Boulder, Colorado, where I completed my sports residency and got to work with some of the top endurance athletes. And then during the pandemic, I decided it was time to come back home. So here I am back in the Bay Area, Marin County, to be specific. I love it. So in a way, it's kind of come full circle. Um, back to your roots. In many ways. In many ways. You know, back to the Bay Area. And um, have you been back to Vietnam? Has your family been back or... I've been back twice. So the last time I was there was when I was 14. Wow. Yeah, I hear it's beautiful. It's been on my list. Um, I just haven't made it, haven't made it over there on, on the list of countries to see, but I hear, I hear it's beautiful. And, well, you um, know, Vietnamese is my first language, so I can teach you a couple, couple words here and there. All right. I mean, I think you have a better chance with my son who speaks fluent Mandarin and languages come really quickly to him. To him. Me, on the other hand, uh, you know, like if I could learn some basic stuff, of course, that always helps. I think that's really important because any place I visit, I always want to make sure I can at least do the basics, you know, and just greet people, say hello, ask a couple of basic questions. And you always feel better about yourself if you're at least making the effort, right? Absolutely. Now, do your siblings, where are you in the birth order? I am the youngest. But everyone is always surprised because they think I come from a running family. I do not. I am the only one in the family that runs. Okay. And do your siblings play sports at all grown up? So you were really like the only athlete more or less. Um, my older sisters did play tennis. So when I was in high school as a freshman, I joined the tennis team because I kind of wanted to follow in my sister's um, footsteps. And I, I loved it. It was a great sport. But um, during tennis practice, we would do a couple of laps on the track and the cross country coach was there. And he saw me and he was like, you should try out for my track team. Like, you know, he was like, there's something there. And I was like, really? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> but I, I went for it anyway. And um, I, yeah, I started in like the mile and the two mile in the track. And um, yeah, I never really went back to tennis after that. So it was, it was in and out on tennis, didn't last long. Um, but you know, what's great about tennis is it's a great sport. You can come back to it at any age. Um, 
you know, it's like, it's like golf for me. So I was a college baseball player and, you know, we get to start to playing a little bit of golf. There's some, you know, most of the athletes tend, tend to live together when you're away at a larger university. And that's the way it was with us. We had the number one singles player was in our suite. We had a golfer and they got us on the football team and soccer. And, you know, so you all just start dabbling in all these other sports as you tend to be. And I think that's super, it's super important. Um, I always tell, you know, younger athletes that I work with as a physical therapist, like, try other sports before you decide to specialize in one so early, especially when you do endurance sports. Like if you just focus on running, you know, when you're 10 and then all the way until you're older, um, your increase for injury goes up and then you also increase burnout. Two very important factors. Um, Also, aside from that, um, and it's great advice, um, particularly because one of us has the physical therapy degree and one of us doesn't. And I think you guys will all know before this episode's over which one does and which one doesn't. Um, you know, I think um, playing team sports and being involved with team sports is, is just simply one of the best things that any kid can do. Um, it, you're exposed to just so many different things. A, it's just the kids that you're playing with they're not always the same kids that, you know, if you're on the swimming team, those kids may not be on the baseball team or the softball team or the basketball team or the cross country team. So you're, you're getting exposed to different kinds of kids in terms of personalities. You're mixing it up. So you're going to meet all different kinds of kids. That's just that piece of it. But then the coaches, the coaching style of those teams and their philosophies, the imprint they put on the athletes, and then also the parents, because face it, man, you can't play any sport today when you're a high school kid, a college kid, without getting to know all the other moms and dads that are there. And some of them are good and awesome, and some of them are completely off their rockers and completely nuts, um, you know, getting in fights and punching out referees and, you know, just going so far over the line. But, um, you know, the cool thing is, like you said, you know, not just chasing one thing exclusively. And you see a lot more of that. So there's a big age gap between you and I, um, but you've been through a lot of education at this point. What I see is so much specialization today. And I see that as one of the biggest changes for me as an athlete. When I grew up, it was football season. It was basketball season, which then became wrestling because I ended up liking wrestling better than basketball. And it was baseball. And that was, I loved the fact that that diversity existed for me. And it was cold weather, then warm weather and indoors and, you know, the different style of practice and training um, that we had to employ. And it broke it up. It kept it interesting. Nowadays, you have these Athletic institutes, soccer institutes, speed and strength and conditioning institutes, and you as a a physical therapist would know. I mean, people, uh, guys that are going to try to make the NFL, they're going to the combine. They're trying to increase, increase their box jumps, their height. You know, how high can they jump? You know, what's their 40 time going to be? What are their agility and cone drills going to be? I mean, that's different. They're trying to get a payday in the NFL or an NBA player, which, my God, that is like so much harder because there's so many less athletes on the team. But, you know, the specialization thing, if a kid goes, does nothing but play travel soccer all those years and doesn't play in any of other teams and play in other sports, the same thing's going to happen to him, as you said, with, with running. Eventually, he's going to get burned out and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I likewise to your point, like I dabbled in other sports before I chose running. Like I, I tried basketball all through middle school, kept getting cut. And so that's how I ended up on the track team was, you know, the track team accepted everyone. And it was so, it was so wonderful. The coaches were so nice and there were so many different events that you could be good at. And in many ways, if I could recommend to any kid who can't find a sport that they enjoy is try track and field because it's accepting of all body types, all people, and, and you're bound to find something that you're good at. 
That's great advice again. And we talk so much about representation today in sports. And, you know, when you grow up, if you don't see people that look like you and they don't have the same skin color, the same body type, the same ethnicity, you know, you start feeling like as a kid, hey, maybe this isn't really a welcome place for me. Maybe this doesn't seem like the right place for me. And I've talked with many guests on my show um, that came to running later in life, but are become really competitive runners. And one of their biggest fears, their biggest boundaries was, oh my God, could I join a running club? Like, am I going to be accepted by some team like Central Park Track Club or Dashing Whippets or or, you know, whatever the team club name is, you're you're in Boulder and now you're back in the Bay Area. I mean, there are super competitive running teams all around the country and not just in the U.S., by the way, in any country. So I got listeners that are out of the U.S. because we don't want to be just U.S. centric or U.S. focused. But um, that's one of the bigger fears that people have, especially if they weren't really competitive. Like, can I just roll in to a Central Park run on a Tuesday night and just show off? And like, will people be nice to me and say hello? And I mean, personally, I think Central Park Track Club was really cool. I mean, I didn't know most of those people when I showed up and I had been out of competitive running for about eight or nine years, coaching my son, doing things like that. Um, obviously, it's a lot different for you. You're, you were going to grad school at that point, right? You were at Columbia when we first, when we first met, right? I was. And I was, I was honestly looking for a post-collegiate running team that was still going to be competitive but also at the same time, like maybe I could have that flexibility where I can miss practice here and there and, and no one would really give me a hard time about it. So it was, it was the perfect environment. And then not only that, but the people in Central Park Track Club were extremely motivating. Um, I found that, you know, the men and the women just they had really demanding jobs and they had kids and they had all these other stressors of New York City life. But everybody still made time to meet in Central Park at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday and Thursday and get the workout done. And so for me as a graduate student, I was like, okay, if these people can do it, I have no excuse. And on top of that, the Central Park Track Club women's master's team uh, are extremely fast and impressive. So for, you know, for somebody who ran post-collegiately, and I always felt like I was a little bit washed up, um, and, and burnt out, but to be able to like see women, you know, in their forties and fifties, just kick my butt at practice. I really had no excuse. Like I needed to step up my game. Yeah. I mean, some great observations there because, um, that's just, it's really true. Um, and then, so we were going to the night workouts, but there's the morning club group, um, that do the workouts in the morning, you know, before work, before the sun's even up. Um, and th that group has grown s significantly, uh, particularly, you know, during COVID time, um, cause people didn't want to go to the larger night runs where there'd be more people. So they felt more comfortable in a smaller setting, understandably so. Um, but yeah, it does really make you stop and you know, take notice because yeah, it's know, a special group. It very is very special. It is a special group. And like, there's no limit to like where it begins and ends. I mean, we have people like trying to go to the Olympics in triathlon or, you know, in ultras running hundred milers, 200 milers. I mean, there's literally like no limit. And, you know, the times that the men and women are running. And as you said, the masters, men and women are running just bananas. And then the, the program is founded, you know, with a really strong track program. So people running indoors and outdoors and cross country. So it's not just about, you know, grinding the miles, running marathons, which is kind of like my favorite. Um, although I love ultras too. Um, so I'm a big fan of ultras and getting more into it as I, as I 
go on because, you know, speed definitely starts to go away at some point and you got to fight like hell, man, to hang on for it. But man, you have, not only do you have your physical therapy degrees, but you also have a lot of other certifications. So talk a little bit about your other areas of expertise. I also know your USATF um, track and field, whatever the first certification is, I believe, right? As far as coaching. Yeah. So after I finished physical therapy school and I, um, I started working out in Boulder, Colorado with all of these athletes. What I realized was there are so many different factors and puzzle pieces that come into play that equals the healthy runner or athlete. And physical therapy is not the only part of that equation. Like people can come to PT twice a week for eight weeks and they can do all the right things, but they can also leave the clinic and do all the wrong things in running. As you know, like it's so easy for somebody to just, you know, not do an easy 30 minute run, but instead they'll go for an hour because suddenly they feel so good. And then they're back to your office injured again. And so for me, it was important to have that running certification, the running coaching certification. So even though I felt like I had a lot of experience running in high school and collegiately and post-collegiately, it was important for me to just get certified um, and be able to just create training programs for people um, create return to run programs for people to help them um, come back from injury safely. And then on top of that, so there's that run, run coaching piece, but there's also the strength coaching piece as well, which I think is extremely important. Um, in most traditional physical therapy models, what we see is, okay, like you're, you come in injured and once you get back to running to some degree, then you're discharged from PT. But what about that performance aspect? Like, what about the people that want to go back to running with time goals, Boston qualifiers, breaking three hours, ultra trail marathoners? And so for me, that strength training slash performance area is a very beautiful transition between regular physical therapy and getting somebody to a higher level once they leave. That's so well said. And also, I think there's a huge gap there, um, <clears throat> particularly for masters runners. And it doesn't have to necessarily be my age masters runners i mean gene dykes is in his mid-70s running 250 marathons i mean Jeannie rice as a woman is running in crazy fast times and there are many other women besides Jeannie rice she's just the one whose name i always remember the way i remember jeans so the performances and not just marathon i mean mile times 5k times half marathon times it's really remarkably impressive what older masters athletes are still able to do and i think although i didn't talk to you about this before you came on I feel like it's a huge gap in everyone's training program. Um, strength training is a must. And I'm calling myself out on it first and foremost because when I ran the 60 miles for Tommy Ribs on my 60th birthday last year, um, and you don't even know this, but um, I had, uh, was doing almost all my runs late at night, many times at midnight or later, just because of work obligations and everything else. I just... That was when I could get it in and um, happened to be running, um, you know, in Edgewater, <laughs> the main street, River Road, for Christ's sakes, the main street, which should have like actual street lights, right? And I don't know, it was at 1230 at night. God knows what the hell time I was out there. And I just hit this section of street where there were four or five street lights out in a row and there was just a dip in the pavement and I caught my foot and I just flew through the air like Superman and I smashed my knee and it was swollen like crazy. And you know, most people would have just literally, you know, either walked home or jogged home from there, but I wanted to get 
my third straight hundred mile weekend. Okay, third straight hundred mile weekend. You know, like oh, days man, days God. before my sixtieth birthday. Psycho madman. So I don't not. I not only do not stop at this point because we all know, and you know this with your degrees. Um, with a running injury like that, a bone, a hard smash, there comes a certain amount of time. If you can just get going again, the adrenaline will flood that area. I don't care if you fall on your ankle, you fall on your elbow, you fall on your knee. You know, if it's broken, it's going to be broken. But if it's not broken, if it's just smashed really hard, the adrenaline's going to flow. You're going to start going. It was also freezing beyond belief. I proceeded to run to the armory. Okay. I was in Edgewater at the time. So I ran to the armory, turned around, came back. I got exactly 20 or 21 miles, which put me for my third week of 100 in a row and said, okay, I'm off tomorrow and I'm only a few days from the run. Maybe I'll just take off between now and that. But I really wasn't going to take off. I was going to keep going because Des, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you followed Des Linden, but Des did this thing called Des Tober, where every day, so the first day of the month, you only had to run one mile, then two miles. And as the calendar went, so you had to run, like, think about it at the end of a calendar, 25 miles one day, 26 the next day, 27, 20. So each day it kept going up exponentially. Now, she is a pro would split her runs up two a day or three a day. So she got to 500 miles was her highest mileage. I was right there. I was going to get 500 miles, but I was so, my knee was so swollen and so sore. Like, I'm not that dumb. I was like, okay, I can't run. And even my dog was just like looking at me when I would take her out, like, what are you, what are you doing? Why aren't we running? Like, I'm like, no, no running. No, don't pull me, you know? So I hobbled around for a couple of days and then the weather forecast came in, you know, below zero wind chill, like coldest day of the entire winter. All my friends are like, you just please like, just make it like next week. Switch it to like the week after. I'm like, it's not my birthday next week. I put it out on Facebook and Instagram. I'm trying to raise money for this guy's family. Like I need to do it on the day. So I get up that morning and I'm not like limping or anything, but it's still really sore. And it was below zero. So I end up finding out after, I didn't know, but I ran 60 miles on an acute stress fracture of my medial femoral condyle, condyle, right? That's the bone that's in the knee, like underneath there. Yeah. So I had a, I had an acute fracture of that, but yeah. So, um, going back to, you know, calling myself out on it, I couldn't run for four months. So I did a lot of bike, indoor bike training, you know, with, with, uh, you know, using the TV screen and riding against other people. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to make that call when, when it's your body. Um, and, and I'm impressed quite honestly, like how an average person with no, not like no formal knowledge of running injuries kind of makes that decision of, okay, like, when am I going to stop running? Hey, you know, like, it's one of those things. I, once I commit to something, and this is different, when you're doing something for somebody else, it's a completely different deal. It's not like you're running the New York City Marathon or we'll get to your Chicago because this is a real case in point. It's a case study, but it's different. Not only is it different in every way, you're younger, you have other options, there'll always be another race. This was a fundraiser for a guy whose family needed the money. I mean, they had millions of dollars in hospital bills. I mean, like, even though I never met him in my entire life, like I was fully invested in this thing. I had to do it. I had to do it. And I started running and it was so cold, I couldn't feel it. So that was the good part. The bad part is, you know, 
it was messed up. Um, but I made it through fine. I made it through fine. And, you know, Metzl, my doctor for HSS was like, dude, like, how did you run 60 miles on this? Like, this is, <laughs> I thought I was looking at someone else's MRI. You're walking around my office. You're like beaming. He goes, you're like, you're like the fittest friggin' 60 year old guy. He goes, you were so happy. He goes like your energy. He goes, you were barely limping. Those people that have this fracture come in like a wheelbarrow. They're like in a, on crutches or, or they're in a stretcher, not a stretcher, a wheelchair. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm fine. He's like, no, no. He goes, are you sure you didn't look at the wrong MRI? He's like, no, no, no. He goes, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be out for like three weeks, four weeks. He's like, no, no, this is, this could be like six months. <laughs> I was just like, what? So long, long digression there, but strength training for me, because I couldn't run for four months. Yeah. I was riding the bike and I was even riding outdoors once he cleared me, but like I know at my age, and you can speak to this for, it doesn't have to be for somebody who's 60. It can be anybody, 30, 40, okay? You need to hold on to muscle, okay? It gets harder to hold on to muscle, to build muscle as we age. So you don't need to be my age. You can be 40, you can be 35. You need to put it into your practice. So I'm calling myself out on it 100%. Like I need to come up with a full routine to strengthen myself. I'm great at foam rolling. I'm great at like triaging my areas. I got the best sports Cairo, you know, Dr. Duggan, you know, who was part of Duke for years and now he has his own practice. He works on Meb and a million other athletes, but I can go to him in two seconds the way you would know if my, I know if my left hip is a little bit out of alignment. I just know. I know from running from all these years. I know, but I want to build strength training into my practice. So talk about how that would help you, me, and every other runner out there, how does it help make you a better runner? And how is it going to give you more longevity in the sport? Yeah, for somebody like you, Ron, or anyone who suffers from bone stress-related injuries, that's that's kind of like the number one no-no for running, right? There's there's other injuries that runners get, such as, you know, muscle strains, tendinopathies, and those you can kind of run through as long as the pain is manageable and you're doing the appropriate PT exercises. But anytime someone's diagnosed with a stress fracture, um, it's absolutely no running. Um, so that's kind of where strength training comes into play is that the stronger that your muscles are, the less stress goes into the bones. So stronger muscles offloads um, impact going into the bones. And then in other terms of performance, the stronger your muscles are, for example, lifting heavy and recruiting fast twitch muscle fibers, um, that's going to help you with, you know, for example, if you were to run a marathon, you're not just using those slow twitch muscle fibers, you need gears. And you need to be able to recruit those fast twitch muscle fibers um, quite quickly during any kind of race. And so strength training, um, especially if you're lifting moderately heavy, which is what the research is suggesting now for endurance athletes, uh, we're not we're no longer doing the body weight exercises, we're doing moderately heavy loads. And that's going to help you with um, fast twitch muscle fiber recruitment. That's awesome. Um, I think um, would be really great if you had even just like a sample program. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be the full blown thing, but just a sample, a couple of examples like lifting heavy. That's all of what I'm reading. That's all of what the research says. Um, and look, I am, um, you know, like I will spend you know, absurd amounts of money traveling around the world racing on my equipment, on my gear, on my Normatex, on getting on someone's table. So for me, 
to also invest in somebody who really knows how to lay out that strength training program for me and, and meet me to do it or supervise it for me. Even if it's my God, you know, these people do this shit on YouTube nowadays where, you know, you can actually do it and they'll watch you. So I think yeah. it's super and it doesn't cool. Have to be com- it doesn't have to be complicated either. Um, honestly, like if runners are willing to put out, you know, 30 to 40 minutes twice a week to just do a strength training program, um, really it's just a five to six exercises. Um, one of which should be like a functional lift. So a squat, a deadlift or a hip thrust, and then a couple of core exercises and single leg stability exercises. And that will help improve your performance. So it's interesting because people ask me questions like, you know, what about these Nike next percent shoes? What about these Saucony endorphin pros? Like, should I get them? And yeah, like you can get them, but more importantly, strength training is going to give you more gains than a pair of shoes will. Love this. I'm going to, we're going to stay on this topic for a second. So first off, really appreciate that feedback. I, I won't link up to your page, you know, to your, your DPT page, your coaching page, all that other stuff. We'll put that all in the show notes. So if somebody isn't following you, they can follow you, but also they can get to that because like for me or for anybody out there, like this is a huge piece of your running. Okay. And I think one of the biggest common areas that people get injured is, you know, they're not using their glutes, they're not activating their glutes. You know, you get the high hamstring tendinopathy, you get all that piriformis syndrome, all of those big muscle groups that all end up by the hips and everything kind of locks up in there because you have imbalances. And when we have imbalances, it just means that one area is strong and one's weak. Okay. And this is stuff you can address, you know, via strength training. And if you address it and you work on it, you're going to be stronger. Okay. And then that load becomes less imbalanced. And as it becomes less imbalanced, you become more efficient. And then suddenly running 730 pace isn't nearly as hard. There isn't as much strain or effort in it as it was before. So I think that's why it's one of those before and after things. If you could map something like that out and put it into practice, the, the key is, as we all know, People get lazy. All of a sudden, they're running and they're healthy. I don't really need to go to the gym and do my strength training anymore because now I'm not my, my my glutes aren't bothering anymore. My piriformis isn't bothering anymore. My plantar fascia seems like it's okay now. You can't get lazy, man. You got to be disciplined, right? You got to work on this stuff all the time, right? Absolutely. And there's actually really good research out there. One that I was reading yesterday. Um, it's a meta-analysis study that looked at 25,000 athletes um, with 3,500 reported injuries. And basically what they found was that strength training, a strength training program twice a week for 16 weeks would decrease um, chronic overuse injuries by 50%. So in many ways, like I wonder if people knew that statistic, would they be more likely to do the strength program? Yeah, that's, that's, that nails it right there. I mean, people are lazy and, you know, they want, they want the information in the first line. If it isn't in the subject line, if it's an email or it's not in the first two sentences of a post, they're, they're just not even reading any of the rest of it. And that goes for my Instagram post, your post or anybody else's, man. So tip, man, you better get it out there right up front, man. Just put it right at the top, whatever it is that you're focused on. I mean, that's, that's massive. That's really massive. And, um, you know, so this is, again, this isn't about my running. It's about everyone's running. It's about your running and other people that you work with in the Bay Area. Um, You know, being healthy and being a runner, that needs to be in the same sentence a lot more. Not on the sidelines, not in the DL. Oh man, I can't run right now. I can't train right now. Um, And we want to 
encourage runners to have better habits so that they can remain more healthy. But one uh, point that you brought up there, I want to double back to. So the carbon plated shoes, um, obviously they help us with performance. It's not even a debatable subject and I'm fine with it. You use whatever you have. I've been doing this for 30 years. I ran in the lightest, fastest shoes that Nike made 30 years ago and I'm going to run in the fastest shoes 30 years from now, God willing, if I'm still healthy enough to still be running. I hope so. I really do. But this is one of the things I counsel people on all the time and I'm not coaching anymore, but I certainly share a lot of running advice with the people who want to hear about it, either on my podcast or when we go on group runs or we get together. Way too many people are using their carbon-plated shoes for literally every fucking run, people. That's not what they're for, okay? And I could tell you firsthand that those carbon-plated shoes are designed to spring and roll you forward. I don't care if you're a heel striker or a midfoot striker or if you have to be a toe striker because maybe you got a high arch. Most people who are a four-foot striker have high arches. It's not because they want to run in their toes. That's just, it's anatomy. That's generally the way it works out. And there's obviously a lot more heel strikers out there, including great marathoners in the history of time that are landing that way. But when you wear those carbon shoes and you wear them every single day, you're putting more torque on your shin, different part, different muscle, muscle parts that you know about, and even probably your bones and anatomy because that roll forward, that push forward. And I think it's really a bad practice. I tell everybody, hey, I'm not saying you want to use them on a long run to, to get make it easier for your legs to recover, to hit certain paces on the run. If it's a long run where you're trying to get some marathon pace miles or maybe even faster, it's great. You know, you want to use them on a tempo run, great, but not every run. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? You can totally disagree with everything I said there. I, I like point counterpoint. I'm good with that. Oh, Ron, I can talk about shoes all day. Um, I like wearing the carbon fiber plated shoes for tempos and occasional long run workouts. Like if I'm training for doing like specific marathon paces sprinkled into a long run, then I'll use them. But oftentimes what I find is uh, one, you have to learn how to run in the shoes. So if you're not used to it, you kind of have to um, get start start using them slowly um, so that your body adapts to it over time. Um, it changes your running mechanics. Uh, we, we all know that's true. Everything in moderation. And, and what I find is that novice runners who wear carbon fiber plated shoes for every single run end up with more foot and ankle injuries. And one thing that I like to tell people too, is you should still be doing your PT exercises if you want to keep wearing the shoes. Because what happens with a carbon fiber plate is that you don't have to use the muscles in your foot as much to propel you forward. And so making sure that you continue to do the little things, um, for example, some of the my favorite foot and ankle exercises, like learning how to spread your toes or um, toe yoga exercises. So learning how to just lift your big toe up while planting all four toes down. Um, that helps strengthen the arch muscles, which then, you know, at least when you're wearing the shoes, you still maintain them over time. Those are great strengthening, like foot tips, um, important stuff. How about a couple of other things? I know, um, I use a mobo board at times. If I start I to love have the mobile board, yeah, the mobile board is literally the best. The thing is a jam. And again, it's laziness. I'll, I'll openly admit that only if I feel, you know, something a little funky and look, I'm really good with my shoes. Like I, everybody's not the same. Like certain people, even though they're running a long time or maybe even longer than me, they're not as in tune with their own body. Like I think it's just one of those things you just either adapt to and learn about yourself over time or you don't. With me, I know when something feels a little bit off. I know it. I know and I can feel it. 
Okay, and I'm not talking about when you fall and you smash your knee. Anybody, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know you smashed your knee. And maybe a smarter person would have just gone the hell home. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, that's just not my specialty, man. I'm, I'm all about the grind and stay in the fight and keep going, man. Yeah, but you know what? That's, that's, a, that's a skill um, as, as a runner over time and just increasing your longevity in the sport is learning how to listen to your body. Um, most of the time we end up with these chronic injuries because we ignore what our body is telling us. And I honestly think that if we listen to our bodies and we modified, you know, the, the workouts, um, according to what your body is telling you, you're not going to miss that many days out of the year injured. If we, if we stopped focusing on the week, okay. And started looking at the longer term and it doesn't need to be like the whole year, you know, because like everybody at some point is building their year around something. And sure, some of the runners that you might be treating might be trying to make the Olympic trials. You might be trying to make the Olympic trials. Other athletes that I run with and train with might be trying to make the Olympic trials or at least run in the trials. Their chances of making the team might be about as good as me making the team. But still, it's incredibly prestigious to get to go to Atlanta. I was down there, man. I got to be part of that experience. I was on the course watching everybody rip in. And it was like, it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. And I wasn't running, you know, just to be there for that energy and see like how many women had made the standard, like by far, like the highest number ever. And now they adjusted accordingly because, you know, it needs to be a hard standard. It needs to be a really tough standard. But um, going back to the feet stuff, um, you know, barefoot running too. Um, and again, we don't live in the Bay Area like you. So maybe in warmer climates, it's easier. But one of the things that I used to do with um, my son ran for Regis High School, he was captain um, his senior year for cross country. I used to get them where we'd be running up at Van Cortland at the end of the workout. I'd be like, man, take your shoes off. Let's do some strides barefoot. They'd be like, what? There's like all kinds of, you know, stuff on the ground. I'm like, whatever, man. We step on worse things than that every single day. Clean your feet, man. Just wipe them off. You know, take a shower when you get home. You'll be okay. But it's amazing how much you can strengthen those tendons, get a better range of motion, you know, get more flex in that ankle, all of those things that are important for running. Even if you don't like cross-country running, even if you just want to run road races and not even have any interest in trail running. And I wonder, you know, now you're in the Bay Area, but also in Boulder. I know runners are so committed. I mean, they're so all in. It's just a different, there's just so much more. I mean, they're there to use the altitude. They're there, there to run on trails more. They're there to tap into that group community, like environment and setting. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, like just even that, just the idea of like barefoot running to strengthen everything just as part of a practice, like the mobile board, all that other stuff. Yeah. Um, I think barefoot running is great. I used to do uh, barefoot strides on the track, like a turf track. Um, and it's, you know, the most important thing is that you introduce your feet to different surfaces. So whether that's going to be a mobile board or a BOSU ball or running on different terrain trails um, or just a turf field, all of that's important. Um, very similar to telling people that they should have a shoe rotation. So, you know, don't run in just one carbon plated shoe, but have five different pairs of shoes to rotate around um, just to strengthen the muscles in your foot. Yeah. And, and there's, there's really like no excuse today because in Strava, you know, you can log your shoes. I mean, any platform, Koros has it. I don't care what, whether it's Garmin, you know, your watch company, Koros, my watch company, who's whatever training platform you're using, a coaching training platform, 
every one of these things has the ability to put your shoe in. I mean, we, I loved running logs. I miss my running log and I still kind of have a little bit of a pseudo one because I still think, you know, that's between you and yourself, you know, like, okay, how did I really feel on this run? This isn't an Instagram post. It's not a Facebook post. It's like, you know, what was going on? And before we came on, we were talking about Tommy Ribs and, uh, in the Rich Roll podcast. And I, I had that in my ears today for the long run. And it's amazing what, a great conversation can do for you on a long run when it's cold and you're really not feeling the run. And I got a lead start, as you know, because I asked you to push this back. And I was just like, everything was going against me. And I was just like, nope, we're, no, there's no off the hook today. We're not cutting this run back. We're not doing less miles. We're going longer today. But I knew I had Rich Roll and Ribs as my ace card. And, you know, like it, it can make all the difference, you know, so you got to find some way to motivate yourself you know, to get out there. And when you do, the payoff is always, is always going to be there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in Boulder versus New York, so you go to New York, that's where you get hooked up with CBDC. You know, you're going to Columbia, you know, you're going down that path. What led you to Boulder and how did that work out for you? Yeah. So, you know, when, interestingly, when I was a physical therapy student at Columbia, I wasn't, I wasn't, my heart wasn't set on just working with runners. Like I always thought I was going to work with neuro patients. Like I kept a very open mind, but because I was so well connected with the New York city running community, honestly, it was just, I felt like I was just destined to treat runners. Like it never, it never felt like work to me. Like it was just a very natural transgression. And so when I moved out to Boulder, Colorado, I, I was doing my sports residency um, and it was it was a very intense time as well because I was working basically from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Um, as most people know, like Boulder is an intense place for endurance athletes. Like people move out to Boulder for their hobbies, not for their job. I was the opposite. I moved there for my job. Um, but it was really cool to work with, you know, these masters, multi-sport athletes is what I call them because They'll run in the morning, they'll ski in the afternoon, and then they'll go on a bike ride later in the evening. But I mean, I just think Boulder people have found the fountain of youth, and it was such a privilege to work with them. Um, at the same time, that's kind of where I decided, hmm, I'm going to hire my first running coach, a marathon running coach, to just help me, you know, tap into my running potential, see how fast I can get. And I had no idea how to train at altitude. And I was struggling with that significantly. So my coach, Matt Hensley of Boulder Underground, who I've been working with since 2019, has helped me significantly. I love it. It's it's such a spectacular place. Um, it's just, it's one of those places, if you haven't been to Boulder, you got to get there. Um, and you don't need to go there to, to run a race like the Boulder 10K, which is one of the largest in the country. But just just go out there, man, and go run on the trails. You know, go run mags and go run... Go run all the famous places that are out there and just go out there and be like one with the mountains and altitude <laughs> and find out how out of shape you really are in like 20 <laughs> seconds flat, man, because you're going to be like, what the hell is happening to me? I can't even like run, man. I'm like broken. I can't breathe. And, you know, we had a great time. I took my son out there before a senior high school season of cross country. You know, you you know, the college years when you're doing your visits and all that stuff. And we kind of broke it up with that. I 
I just said, look, we've seen so many schools. We've been here. We've been to Stanford. We've been to Middlebury. We've been to all these places. We got to just go. Let's just got to go somewhere fun. I go, do you want to go golfing somewhere or do you want to go on like a running trip somewhere? And I was like, I gave him two choices. I was like, we're going to go to, you know, we're going to go to Prefontaineville and head to Oregon and, you know, run on Priest Trail and run on the track or we'll go to Boulder. And he's like, oh, Boulder sounds really cool. So we went to Boulder. Um, and man, you could not have described it better. I mean, it is just, it just seems like everyone out there. And again, it's, some people are focused, like you said, way more on skiing and back, backwoods, back country, um, but outdoors lifestyle to the max. That's it. I mean, everybody's biking to work. Everybody's focused on fitness. Everyone is an athlete. Everyone's an athlete. And I mean, if you think you're a really good athlete and you go out there, you'll quickly find out like, you know, you'll be coming in last place in like every race and it will, you will be humbled like so quick. Or if you show up for a group run or something, you'll get dropped and it's just like, okay, well, this is maybe not working out quite, quite the way I wanted. So, um, now did that have any impact in you hiring a coach or you just really wanted to, you know, see, you know, how far you could take your running with somebody else, like kind of, you know, prescriptively handling it for you? Um, a little bit of both. So when I first moved out to Colorado, um, for about six months of training, I, I was, I was anticipating that I could still run my normal paces at sea level after I had adapted for about three months or so. And it just never happened. Um, and actually, in, when I was in Boulder, I finally got my ferritin levels checked by my doctor, and it was extremely low. So um, that didn't help the situation with training at altitude. And so once I worked on improving my ferritin levels, um, I hired my coach, Matt, who really, who really taught me how to train at effort, effort pace, which I still use today, whether I'm at altitude or not. Um, because interestingly, like I was never, when I was training in Boulder, I was never able to hit my marathon pace. Um, and it's, it's hard to come down to sea level, enter a race, and then try to mentally run this faster pace that you've never been able to practice at in Boulder. And so through that process, I, learned how to develop, you know, true inner confidence of like, Hey, you know what? I've done the work. Like I know I'm fit and I'm, I'm going to be ready to race on race day. And so that's what training in Boulder did for me. Wow. Well, that, let me tell you something. I'm impressed because we need, all of us do, we need validation. That's why we have hard workouts. That's why we show up to a tempo night at Central Park and it's raining night or freezing cold night and we show up because A, we know everybody else is going to be there. We damn well know nobody's not going to come because it's a rough day on weather. Um, and B, you know, you're always going to have somebody to, to slug it out with or try to hang on to or try to catch. That's, I mean, that's the best way I could say it. Somebody to try to catch, somebody to try to hold off. Like it's just, it's competitive in the best way. Um, it just is. It's everybody wants everybody to do well for sure. But at the same time, nobody is going to let you roll by them in a workout. I mean, no one I ever ran with anyway, I'd be like, they'd, they'd be like, see, it's me. They'll be like, they're going to crank it up another 10 seconds a mile. I'll be like, all right, I'm already ready for that. So I gotta, I gotta shift gears, but to run at a pace that you really haven't been able to hit for, and I totally understand it because everything is so much harder at altitude. And even if you're there a couple of years, you, I follow Nazali really closely on Instagram. And I, I love how they share their workouts. I love, they don't just share the workouts in a write-up. You see them, you see them running on Lake Mary road. You see the paces they're running. It's on video. You see Ben on the bike or, you know, you see, um, 
Steph's husband, Ben, who's an amazing runner his, in his own right. He's made multiple like um, national championship teams and different distances, et cetera. And I know he did a lot with Alafine pacing her in a lot of races, you know, to get her, help her get to her level. So I think it's one of those things, like if you can't hit that pace in practice, I'm so impressed because, you know, if I'm working to run 650 miles or six flat miles when I was running 240s, like, but I'd never run faster than 630 when I was doing the training runs to simulate it. And then I'm going to go to sea level and try to run 30 seconds or 20. I, I'm really impressed because I, I would, I'd be really worried whether I believe, you know, that I could, could I, I could hold that. So did you have an experience where like you failed a couple of times, but then it actually came together or did he just make you believe that you could get it done? Like, was it that kind of relationship? A little bit of both. So the first race that I ran with Team Boulder Underground was CIM 2019 before the pandemic. My personal best before that was 315. Um, I had no right to really believe that I was going to run under three hours, but I was stubborn and honestly, I felt really fit and maybe it is possible. Who knows? Like I'm going down to sea level. So I did. And I, I ran CAM. I, I think I started out at like 645, 650 pace and I'd never ran that course before. And by mile 15, I was hurting bad. Like my pace dropped to 720, 730, 740. Like, like I, I didn't go into that race injured, but man, my hips were really sore. My hamstring was sore. Um, that was actually one of, it turned out to be one of my best races because in the past, I always thought that in the marathon, once you, once your pace starts to decline and you start hitting that wall, like it's just all a downhill spiral from there. But what happened was once I got to like mile 22, um, the 305 pacer came right behind me and he was just saying all the right things that resonated with me. And it just, it got me back into that rhythm. And that was the best finish I ever had. Like I, I finished back at 657 minute pace, ended up at 304.51, which was honestly a huge PR. So whether I had ran under three hours or not, I got that much closer to three hours. And I, I, I dug myself out of a very dark place in the marathon. And honestly, after that, I was like, okay, I, I can definitely do this now. But then there was that pandemic year where there were no races. So yeah, I think, um, you know, training at altitude and not being able to run actual marathon pace, it was hard for me to estimate what I could actually do on race day. Yeah. I mean, that, that's tough. I mean, because anybody it's not like you're trying to run a 10 mile race or a 10 K where the races are really, you start, you push, you're in pain, and then you're almost done. <laughs> Marathons are, I mean, even when you're blitzing the day and you're going sub three, it's still three hours, man. It's a long time. And for you to be hurting at mile 14, 15, and I've run CIM a bunch of times, so I know the course well, um, that was a great life experience for you to go through. Um, and you were meant to learn that. I, I believe the way these races set up, I always believe there's some higher purpose to these things. Like that 305 group and that person saying the right things, like that was just meant to happen because if he wasn't there or she wasn't there, you were not going to run that fast for those last five miles. There's no way. It wasn't going to happen. But 
you know, it's like the caboose. The train is coming by, they're leaving the station, and it's like all of a sudden you just put a little more effort in, you focus on your turnover for a little while, and all of a sudden you're actually moving with them. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm actually hanging on to this group. Let me just stay with them. I'll just stay with them one more mile. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing how quickly we can turn from in the dark place or in a darker spot to all of a sudden, I only have four miles to go. If I could hang on to this group. And it's, not it's, only it's the, all it's all between the ears, Ron. Yeah. But not only that, you know, you ended up getting a huge PR. So, you know, you're dropping 720, you know, you're going 645, 650s, you know, then you're going back to 720s or slower. And then you you have a serious rally. And for anybody out there that's ever hit a rough patch in a race. If you can finish a race like that, even if it's one mile at the end, two miles at the end, you have to find the silver lining, okay? You got to find the silver lining in your race, in that day, in your preparation, and then you got to do the true postmortem, man. That's why I love Goggins, man. You got to take it apart and you got to study it. And you can't lie to yourself. You can't be bullshitting yourself. This is not some Instagram post. This isn't Facebook. This is you. This is Ein's race. It's Ron's race. It's whoever the hell is listening to this show's race. It's your fucking race. Own it, okay? Take a hard look in the mirror and break it down. Did you go out too fast? Did you not take enough fuel? Were you? Did you have a shitty meal the night before? Did you not sleep? I don't care about sleep. I don't even want to hear about sleep. If you slept two days before, three days before, I don't even want to hear about sleep. I don't hear one word about it. You'll be fine. You don't need to have... I mean, if I slept four hours the night before any of my marathons, it would be a miracle, okay? I'm like awake. I'm awake, ready to roll, like ready to do the race, okay? So I, I'm just going to get up way earlier anyway because... I might as well just get up and I take a shower and I have my routine. I'll eat crazy early, whether I'm bringing my own gluten-free oatmeal or other things, or if it happens to be at a rest, you know, a hotel, you know, if I happen to be staying in a really nice hotel, like a Four, four Seasons or a Ritz or something that might have a really early delivery to my room, or maybe they even have a ballroom open like they did for us in Boston this year, they actually had it open. So you have to figure those routines out. But when you break that race down, you're not doing it this, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you're not honest, you can't be bullshitting yourself. You want to bullshit your friends, that's fine. You want to bullshit your rabbi, your priest, that's not fine, but I might even let give you a pass on that. You know, you want to lie to your running friends when you're going for a cruise around Central Park or in the Bay Area, you know, you're running the Marin Headlands. Yeah, maybe I'm going to sign off on it, but you can't lie to yourself. You got to own it. So you got to figure out what went wrong? Were you not trained properly to go that fast? And you took a huge leap, which I applaud. I totally applaud it. I'm good with it, man. You know, like, go for it, man. You know, the worst thing that can happen to you is exactly what happened, okay? And then the rest of the day, whatever it threw you, when the end was there and you could have just, like, signed off on it, you got really tough, man. And you grabbed a hold of what you had when you got the chance and you fought your way to a sub 305, which was a huge, huge win. So the thing is, at that point, you may not just not have been fit enough. It could have been that. Maybe you didn't have enough marathon miles at that pace. Maybe you didn't have enough tempo runs. Maybe your fueling was off. I mean, do you think you know at that point, like what it was at that point? Do you think it was just not, you weren't ready yet at that point? You needed more development? I needed more development and I ran the first half too hard, which is why, you know, having that experience underneath my belt going into CIM 2021, it was a game changer. Yeah, it's so important. Um, 
And I don't know that people realize just how important it is um, because even if you're fit enough to run, whatever the numbers, I don't care, make up a number, 315, 230, I don't, make up your number, whatever you're fit enough to run, the only way you're really going to have your best day is if, if you don't run a negative split, that you run an even race, as close to even as you can. I, I'm fine with somebody being a minute faster in the first half or something, but when you start telling me you ran five minutes, faster in, five minutes faster in the first half than you did in the second half, the only course in the world I would even consider allowing that to happen on would be Boston and telling you you ran a good <laughs> race. I'm just saying because of the profile of the course. But I, I'm not, I would never advise you to run it that way if I were coaching you, I'm just saying like, that's not a well-executed race. And, you know, it's interesting because where you had, where you picked them up at CIM, 21 is the bridge, man. I hate that bridge. <laughs> I hate that stinking bridge, man. But once Why? You get, what is it about the bridge? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I just think, you know, look, uh, a billion years ago, I ran 247 there. So that was like when I was 35 or something. So, and I hadn't been back. And the year that I ran last was the year that I ran all six majors in the same year. And a really close friend of mine, her dad was her huge rock in life, her supporter of her running and was just her advocate and just, just was such a strong influence in her life and it passed. And it just hit her really hard. Like it, of, of course, one would expect it to. And she just was just broken and said, you know, I want to run CIM, but the race is closed. And she's like, Ron, can you get me in the race? And I'm like, I don't know anybody at CIM. I ran there like, you know, like 30 years ago. She, you know, everybody, you can get me in the race. And, you know, long story short, connections here and there, I got her in the race. And then, you know, she's like, well, you're going to run with me. I'm like, what? I just ran all six majors. I'm not running, running this race. Too. She's like, you got to run with me. You're the best pacer. So, um, the beauty of that story is, um, you know, her, her man is awesome. We got to hang out, the three of us. And um, she only needed me for, I think, around 13 miles. It was just this beautiful, beautiful thing. And you know how CIM is, you can just see for really long stretches. So she started to get a little gap on me, like, and she trusted me with the pacing. And um, we had this long talk about her dad being on her shoulder and she felt his presence the whole weekend. So I ran on the other side of her and um, I could just see her slowly get, you know, five seconds on me, 10 seconds on me. And I was, you know, there was a part of me that was going to say like, hey, you know, it's still early because it was, it was only like 14, 15 miles in, but I've learned, you know, you never know when you're going to have your day. You never know when you're going to feel you great. Never know. You never know. Exactly. And, you know, Don't it, give up. It, it, it's not my day. It was her day. There's only one reason on earth I was there was for her, you know, to, to see if I can help her out in any way. And, um, you know, for the longest time, she was just, you know, 10 seconds ahead of me, 15 seconds. And then I think she ended up getting about three I don't know, maybe even four minutes on me. And it was right around the bridge is where it really started to open. I think that's why I hate that bridge. Cause I was just like, I'm not running hard anymore. She doesn't need me. She's good. I'm here. If something happens, God forbid she gets a cramp, I'll get her going again. And, you know, I'll be there for her. But she, um, she ran a PR, she got her BQ. Um, it was just a great, it was a great, great weekend. So maybe that left a mark on me, like that bridge. I think I, I think I was just like done at that point, you know, like seven, seven marathons in the year and a 50 miler and God knows how many other things I did that year. But yeah, so it's not that bad, right? See, the bridge isn't that bad, right? No, no. Yeah, yeah. So that's where you saw them, you grabbed a hold of them. That's your life, because that's 21, right? So you had like, what, five miles to go at that point or? Mm-hmm, yes. Cool. So that was your PR at that point. And how long were you working with your coach from Boulder at this point? Uh, I've been working with him since, well, before I ran CIM 2019, I had only been with him for about three months. 
So I was, I was so curious to explore how much progress that we could make together. Um, he was more interested in helping, helping me develop in the long term as an athlete. And so, you know, the pandemic happened. So we, we still continued to do time trials. Um, I focused on the 5K, the 10K. It was awesome. And then this year, all of the races started to come back. And um, a friend had invited me to run grandma's marathon with her, um, who also runs for Central Park Track Club. And so I, I went up out there, we, I trained for it. Um, that was also a great race. And I ended up running 302, 302.51. I ran the last eight miles alone. It was horrible. Um, the fitness was there, but all of the other elements of a great race were not. Um, and so that kind of left me hanging like, okay, I just, I got a little bit closer and Chicago marathon was on the calendar. So I knew that even if I didn't break three hours at grandma's marathon, it was going to be okay. Like we had another chance. Um, and so this was actually the first year that I had signed up for so many long distance races. Another opportunity came up in August for me to run my first trail race in Iceland. I had never ran a trail race before. And doing a trail race in the middle of a serious training block is completely unconventional. Um, and I, I tried to train for it. I did a lot of my um, training on the trails in Marin, but honestly, nothing in Marin could prepare me for the terrain and the elements in Iceland. It was a 16 mile race and I got through it. The fitness was there and I, I survived, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like a, a great race in any way. It was a great experience. Definitely one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, but then after that, I returned back to the States and it was six weeks exactly until Chicago and the training went perfectly. Um, I did all of my strength training, all of my PT. I've never hit splits like that before in a workout. Like everything was pointing towards a PR race. And the week before Chicago, I started to experience tightness in my hamstring. But I think as most people know, you know, I never feel good during a taper. Um, you always feel kind of flat. You, you start to feel like aches and pains that you've never had before during phantom, training. Phantom injuries appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. Which exactly. seem like, like 100% real. 100%. Yeah. Like you're convinced your leg is broken, your foot is broken. I'm like, well, I can't walk. I don't understand. But sometimes they actually are real. That's that's the difficult part of trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I got to Chicago and it was so humid and hot. Like you can just feel the moisture in the air. And our biggest concern was how we were going to race in those conditions. It wasn't going to be sub three hour conditions. It was going to be an effort based day. And so, you know, in our team meetings, it was like, okay, don't wear any sunscreen so that your body can sweat um, and exfoliate the skin the night before so that you clean out all your pores. Um, but when I was doing my shakeout run before Chicago, I just did my first set of strides and I just felt something tweak behind my knee. Uh -oh. And I, I kind of knew, I kind of knew deep down, you know, that something was off. And, um, but again, like the biggest concern, there was so much hype around the heat. And so I figured, you know, I'm not going to go out in a crazy pace anyway, so it, it'll be fine. And so I, I started Chicago marathon. Um, and honestly, that pain in my hamstring was there the entire time. It started out as more tightness. And then by mile 10, I was starting to think like, oh, dang, it's like really painful. And I, I need an escape plan. Like, how do I disappear out of this situation? Because Chicago is, it's 
not a point to point, like it's, it's a whole loop course. And the further you go, you're going to end up further away from the start line. And so I'm, I'm looking around at the crowds for like a face that I know that can maybe call me an Uber. And at mile 14, I just, I had to call it like my, I, every time my foot hit the ground, which is when the hamstring is most active, I could just feel that pain behind my knee and behind my thigh. And as, as a runner first and also a physical therapist second, it was this constant dialogue in my brain, like, okay, you know, if I keep going, I'm going to finish in a subpar time. I'm going to sacrifice possibly four to 12 weeks of a rehab. Um, I'm going to, you know, the risk of re-injury is going to be even higher. And so knowing that, like, I didn't know I was going to run CIM when I made that decision, but I knew I had to call it. So I walked into the medical tent um, and I got on the bus, which I call the bus of shame, but it's really not. It, it took, I mean, Ron, it took me like over an hour to get back to the start. And I'm, I'm sitting on this bus with, you know, 10 of these other fantastic runners and they drop us off back at the start, right? When all the pros and the elites are finishing. And so we're wrapped in a space blanket, but people are like applauding for me as I'm trying to walk back to my hotel room, like congrats on finishing. They think I'm like some professional athlete. I'm like, no, no, like I just head down, just walk as quickly as possible back to my hotel. Um, and yeah, quite possibly the, the worst race. Like I, I've, I think as a marathoner, you kind of create these scenarios and backup plans in your brain. Like, okay, like what happens if I get a stomach cramp? What happens if I get a calf cramp? Um, what happens if I have to go to the porta potty? But I never thought that I would have to DNF from a race due to an injury. Well, that is, um, that's incredible. Um, first off, you made the right call, obviously. Um, but most people, a lot of people wouldn't do that. They would just keep going. Um, and I think it gets celebrated too much. Um, and it's kind of hard because right behind you, behind me is my podcast <laughs> sign and stay in the fight. And, you know, like we do tend to glorify, you know, and Goggins does, I do people glorify being tough, you know, being a battler, being a fighter, someone doesn't give up and that's great, but there is a time and a place to battle on. There is a time and a place to keep going. And there is a real injury versus I'm sore my muscles are tight. I'm cramping. I mean, we we have control of certain things and the rest of the things are out of our control. And that is the sim single hardest stuff to like kind of figure out and troubleshoot as we're racing when we can't figure anything out. We can't do splits. We can't do this. Like, my God, like if our biggest problem in races should be when do I need to take my next gel? Like that should be our biggest problem or I need to get more fluids in or my stomach's bothering me. It shouldn't be, gee, I think my hamstring is, is going to rip off or I'm really in a lot of pain. And, um, so you made a good call and it isn't an easy call and it, you, you joke about it, but that's what it feels like. It does feel like the bus of shame or the walk of shame. That's exactly what it feels like. But you know what, in a way, you don't, whether you're young or you're my age, it doesn't matter. We all need to be humbled once in a while. And it's not like you were walking around beating your hands on your chest going, oh, I'm going to run a sub three. That's not <laughs> what was going on. You just, you were progressing. You know, you run three sub 305 in CIM. You ran 302.50 at um, uh, grandma's. So, I mean, you're you're making natural progression. You're, you're trending in the right direction. And you had a really strong buildup. And this is where I want to bridge it into, you know, coming into CIM because I've had so many runners on this show 
and I just try to share my own running experiences, weave it into their own experiences as they talk to me. I can't tell you how many training cycles I had that were perfect, and then how many of those resulted in an imperfect race, and then how many training cycles I had that were just awful between getting separated and then eventually getting divorced, and my ex-wife is one of my closest friends, and she's an amazing runner, and I coached her, but like to think that I would have run a great race in the 100th Boston it just didn't make any sense. You know, we were getting separated, we're getting divorced. There was just so much angst. There was so much anxiety. It was just tension everywhere. And, you know, my son was so young at that point. He wasn't aware of any of this stuff. And we're all, the three of us are all as close as you can be. But like, I wasn't sleeping well. Like there was everything against me on the planet for running a good Boston in the hundredth. But I just used all that anxiety and the negative energy to just run twice a day, to run more miles than I'd ever run, to just keep telling myself the only way through was, and I wasn't running a lot of hard workouts. I was just throwing crazy mileage up. And then, you know, I would do some workouts, but you know, my point is if somebody would have told me that was going to be my fastest Boston and one of my fastest marathons, I would have told them you're out of your mind. It, It doesn't make any sense. And other cycles where it's 12 or 14 weeks of magic and killing it on the track and running fast 5Ks and 10Ks and half, and you, you know, I'm going to kill this race. No, no. <laughs> Universe has a way of humbling us all. Um, and so, you know, you had to go through that and you had to go through that experience. But I applaud you for making the call to punch out. And people need to be that needs to be celebrated the same way instead of just saying, you know, man, you did it. You know, you limped your way through for 12 more miles, but then maybe you're going to take yourself out of the rest of your year of running. Maybe you're not going to get to go run some cool trail race in Iceland, which I need to know more about because that sounds like something I might want to do. Um, so good for you for making that tough call. I want to go back to um, your race in uh, Minnesota for a minute, though, Grandma's, because you said the last eight miles were like hell and stuff like that. Was there anything about the race? I mean, obviously, it's a huge step forward, okay? But, like, I mean, what about the race? Was just was it just because you were on your own? You didn't have anybody to work with? Was it just that? Is that what you're referring to specifically? Or Yeah, so when I ran Grandma's Marathon, um, I, I will take accountability that I ran the first half too fast. And... The second half in the last eight miles, I think what happened with grandmas was there weren't actually designated pacers. So there were a bunch of sub three people, but they were spread out all over the place. And um, yeah, running the last eight miles alone, that was that was really, really tough. Um, And, you know, at CIM this year, like at a race at Chicago, you're almost never alone. So it's, it's the last eight miles is where you need people the most. 100%. And it's so different. Um. I just, uh, you know, like our, the races, you know, we race in Central Park. There's so many runners there, right? And I'm sure in the Bay Area or in Boulder too, you're, you're doing a race, even if it's a local race. I mean, there, there's just a lot of runners and there's a lot of fast runners. There's almost always somebody to try to grab a hold of or, or just hang to or, or catch up to that group, let's say. Um, and, you know, grandmas is, you know, they have the half and the full. So it's like, and it's kind of going on at the same time. It's a little bit of a mystery. Um, and the great pacing groups that exist in Chicago and a lot of the other majors, and most certainly CIM has become the place, quote unquote, to go chase, you know, your fastest time or try to make an Olympic trials qualifying standard. And I think they've really perfected that whole, you know, kind of 
uh, they've made it into like a successful model. I mean, they're, they're marketing it well and they're getting better and better runners to pace those groups and faster and faster, um, men and women are showing up out there and throwing down times. And then, so this brings more people onto my show, which makes me happy. So, and then more <laughs> success stories, but we don't get to the success stories in life until we fail a few times. We've got to fail. And we I gotta agree. I'm there. Life has no coincidences. See? You see, it's true because like, if you just keep going, everybody wants to be linear. Life isn't linear. There's nothing about our lives that's linear. We don't just get to a 4.0 GPA and they just keep going up. And first off, you can't go any higher unless they have some fake grade scales, which exist today. But you know what I'm saying? Like we keep going up at some point, our trajectory doesn't keep going up. Okay. That's not real. No one does. And even a beginner runner who has no training whatsoever, and maybe is losing weight and getting healthier and fitter and adapting, they're going to improve, but they're not going to just keep going up on this rocket ship path. Eventually reality is going to set in. They're going to get some injuries. They're going to stop hitting PRs at every distance. And to be in this sport a long time and to have longevity, you got to figure out, hey, man, what motivates me? What's going to get me out of bed in the morning? What's my next big goal going to be? And they don't all have to be time goal related. Now, to me, those are the ones that tend to stick the most. When people that are driven and focused and goal oriented, they stick the most, you know, unless it's, you know, fundraising or a big charitable initiative or they've lost their mom or dad or somebody close to them to, for ALS or something. And they really are act, really actively involved with a charity or something like that. Um, they tend to stick the most because look, if a goal isn't big and it isn't hard as hell and it doesn't scare the shit out of you, then I'll tell you right off the bat, it's a soft goal because I don't want to chase any soft goals in my life, man. I want to chase a goal that I'll be like, Whoa, what did I say I was going to do? Oh boy. Now I'm really in trouble. And, and when you, and when you actually get that big goal, oh my God, it just means so much more. Oh, hell yeah. Man, if you just like went from, you know, like no problem, you know, 330, you know, 253, like it wouldn't be all that exciting to say you ran a sub three. Like you have to have these speed bumps along the way. We have to have some injuries. We have to have some races where we get derailed and maybe even have to pull the plug. So, you know, I want to know, you know, because I think it's important for the people listening at home, like you get on that bus and, you know, you got to walk back to your hotel. Like, what are you feeling at that moment? I mean, there's no way because we're going to get to the really good shit, man. We're going to finish this bad boy on the highest <laughs> note possible. But it's important because people out there don't understand, like, I'm never going to get past this or I'm never going to. Yes, you are. Yes, you will. But you got to understand you didn't just have that great day at CIM without having that day at Chicago first. So like what, you know, obviously you were looking for the punch out, you're looking around the course and then you finally get out of there at 14. Like from there, let's like walk me back to the hotel before you talk to your coach and stuff. Like, what are you feeling? And like, what was going down? So the first thing that happened was I borrowed someone's phone on the bus to just text my boyfriend, like, Hey, I'm okay. Like that was my one text message. He's the, his phone number is the one that I remember. And, um, I just, it was disappointing because I knew how many people were tracking me. And that was the one thing that I felt was like, damn, I really just let everyone down. Um, and then the first steps off of that bus, my hamstring was in so much pain that in some, in some sick and twisted way though, it was relieving to me because I was like, okay, like, this shit's real. <laughs> like I, it, it wasn't just in my head. Like I didn't just cop out on like a hot and humid day. Like this was real. 
and walking home, like it was real. Like it, it was in a lot of pain. I couldn't straighten out my knee. Um, I did have a limp and it would not have been possible for me to continue running. Well, you made the right call, as you know, and um, that is a part, that's a big, a far bigger part of today's running than, you know, like, you know, again, our age gap is so huge, but you know, I started running at when I'm 30, I'm going to be 61 soon. So like, we didn't even have freaking, we didn't even have phones, forget about texting or we didn't have race tracking, but I mean, these are wonderful things in many ways because people can get so behind what you're trying to do and they can be like, you know, she's got 10K to go. She's going to do it. Like people are going bananas, man. It's like a watch party, you know, while you're doing a race and people are that excited and happy for you. But at the same time, I understand where you're coming from because there is a feeling of like, oh my God, my friends thought I was going to do this, like, and I didn't do it. And not only did I not do it, I didn't even finish the race. So <laughs> I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And uh, that's good for your boyfriend. That that's the only number you remember. Cause I, I don't even know. I might only remember my son's number. I might be in the same boat, man. It's like, you know, if, if you take the phones away from us and we don't have all the info that's in there, we're all in a lot of trouble, man. We would, I don't even know if we could function properly. So at least you got a hold of him. And, you know, and also too, and I do think that if somehow you'd gotten off that bus and started walking, it wasn't bothering you, that would have just been a minefield to negotiate. So I'm glad for you that it just like, you knew it anyway, but that would not have been the time for it to start feeling better. You'd be like, oh my God, I'm (laughs) soft. What did I do? I cracked, you know, and, you know, and also weather too, like that's the hardest part about marathoning that people don't understand. They just don't get it. There's always going to be another 10K. Well, actually, 10Ks have become so much less prominent, but there's always going to be another 5K for sure. There's always going to be another half marathon. There's half marathons. Like, that is the most common and most popular distance these days. 5Ks, you want to run shorter stuff. Even mile or track stuff, you can find cross-country. But marathons, like, you don't just get up off the course that day when you're injured and go, okay, my fitness is still here. I'll just run one next week or two weeks. No, you can't. Okay. It's not going to work. And even if you did it, the odds are it's probably going to work out even worse. Okay. And you're going to put yourself into a worse spot and you're injured. So you didn't, that wasn't an option for you. So this wasn't like you got sick because people do get sick. You know, they're, they're throwing up or they're not well, or, you know, maybe the heat just really didn't agree with them. They couldn't get their nutrition down and could have been something like that where you might say to yourself, okay, now I'm going to go to plan B. But so now at this point you get off that course, you know, that's it. You know, your fitness, you're ready, you know, you're down to 30250, you're you're less than three minutes away from, you know, a huge goal of yours. And, you know, when do you start your dialogue with your coach? And when do you guys like come up with your plan? Like, first off, what 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 was the conversation like? You know, how did that go? So my coach is also a marathoner. Um, he's a fast marathoner. I believe his personal best is like 219. So he's usually at these big races too. And I was honestly so fortunate that our Boulder Underground team was there because we had a gathering um, that evening. And so, you know, everyone's really happy. And I think in some way, the fact that no one had these breakthrough races made me feel a lot better as well. <laughs> because if everybody PR'd, it would have been so much harder for me to be there with the group and be like, oh, damn, like I didn't finish. But um, I, 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 was th- I was talking to him and I was like, look, I don't know how much damage I did to my hamstring. I just know it hurts, but I would like to do CIM. And he was like, he, he like gave me this look and he was like, just, just focus on your rehab. Just, just get, just get better. <laughs> and so, you know, I didn't push it, but um, I was fortunate enough to actually get a transfer bib. Um, 
but I had eight weeks. Like it was nuts. I, if a patient had come up to me and told me, Hey, I want to do this, but I just pulled my hamstring. I would give them a crazy look too. Like, don't even do it. But I had eight weeks basically from Chicago to CIM to rehab this hamstring, let alone I couldn't walk. Um, and then not lose fitness and then get ready for another race. Um, so basically that whole first week of returning back to California, I was one learning how to walk again and then, um, biking cross training a lot. And then after about four or five days and the pain and inflammation subsided, I was actually able to do quite a bit more so to my surprise. Um, you know, I look at these generic return to run programs and it's like, okay, do a run walk program for like six to eight weeks. And I just, honestly, I didn't think that was necessary because I, one, I already had a lot of base fitness. Um, and two, I, I know, I know my body and I'm doing all of the PT exercises aggressively. Um, I basically didn't do any isolated hamstring strength exercises. I focused on strengthening my glutes. I focused on doing a lot of lateral movement exercises. I basically strengthened everything that I could that didn't cause any hamstring pain. And so honestly, after about 10 days, I was able to do some form of running again. So we started with like 30 minutes continuous, and then we slowly progressed it to an hour. Once I could do an hour, uh, we started to sprinkle in marathon pace. The one thing I really could not do was strides. I didn't do strides for like six weeks. Um, and in many ways, I actually think it was a blessing in disguise because I couldn't overstride. Like my running form got better because every time I overstride, I could feel a twinge in my hamstring. And so I think I was able to get in like two good workouts. Um, and then what ended up happening two and a half weeks before CIM was I started to get knee pain on my good leg because I was practicing running um, on a lot of hilly terrain to just prepare for the CIM course. And it was the first time in my life I ever got, you know, it was a combination of IT band syndrome and patellofemoral pain syndrome. It was the first time I ever had knee pain. Um, and I was like, okay, great. This is the last thing that I need. Like everyone knew about the hamstring thing, but no one knew about this knee pain that just came up. And so, you know, I, I go back and I look at all these texts that I sent to my coach and we basically had to start that taper very early. Um, and we were cautious enough that I was able to, you know, run pain-free five days before CIM. So that's when we confirmed it. We confirmed five days before CIM that I was going to start the race and I was going to be able to finish the race. So with all of those things happening, it completely humbled me going into CIM because I just, one, I was happy to just make it to the start line. Two, in the back of my head, I still questioned, I like, I questioned whether I could be able to physically finish I knew the fitness was there, but physically, I think my body was worn down from doing so many different training walks, so many marathons this year. Um, and at the CIM start line, I ran into my friend Brian Schmidt from our team Boulder Underground, and he was like, hey, how are you feeling today? And I laughed at him and I said, well, I'm going to test the theory that it's better going into a race undertrained than overtrained. And we laughed, hugged, and we parted ways. And so honestly, that's how I felt going into that race. Like, I didn't have this confidence, like, oh, yeah, today's going to be the day. Um, I was super conservative in the first half, because I just, I didn't feel like I needed to be a hero. 
I needed to just feel out the first half of the course and see see how my body responded. There's so much in there to unpack. Um, I think, you know, when we go into these races and we are fit and we come off of a good cycle, I think sometimes, um, even if we're really confident in our own abilities, there's just, we put this burden of expectations on ourselves. of other people think we're going to do it. Our boyfriend thinks we're going to do it. Our coach thinks we're going to do it. And we just don't realize the impact of what that has overall on us, how much that could actually be actually hurting our performance in a way. And even though these are people who love us and care about us and are invested in our goals and want us to win and succeed, it's like we're taking that on in a way that we shouldn't be taking it on, okay? And I think, you know, in Dez's race in Boston in the year of the monsoon, which I was a part of, you know, like it's been famously told over and over again, Shalane had to go to the bathroom and, you know, Dez like doubled back and kind of waited for her. And then she just like says, I'm not feeling well today, you know, how about, I'm just going to bring you back to the group. And, you know, that's the story. Um, and, you know, Des has talked about it over and over again on 5,000 podcasts. But when we tell our brains, it's literally like we're saying these words out loud, like, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to take you back up to the group. Line. I'm going to probably punch out, but let me get you back up to the group. Well, now all of a sudden, every ounce of pressure is gone. Like, I don't even have to finish this race. This race doesn't even matter. Okay. You're coming into the race. You don't even know if you're going to finish. You don't even know if you're going to finish. I'm going to test the theory of being undertrained versus overtrained. Like your level of expectation is completely removed from yourself or as much as it can be. Okay. So it's, it's, as, it was, yeah, yeah, it's so it's, different. Yeah. So it's so, it's so different than, you know, on the start line in Chicago where you were fit and, you know, you had some weirdness going on, but you weren't sure. Cause it can be the taper crisis. It can be, it literally can be something like that, that all of a sudden you start running and it's not even there. And then something that is not there can actually show up on race day. So you've removed these things, whether you realize it or not, you know, you don't even know if you're going to be able to run, man. You're like, you know, you're training, you're doing a reverse taper. Everything is like out of water, like a shit show. And, you know, nothing went right. Nothing goes right. So this is, this is the moral of the story, people. We, we still got to lace them up. We still got to show up to that starting line because we never know what kind of magic is in front of us that day. We also don't know what kind of madness could be there to derail us. But if we show up with the right attitude, and we just go there and be present. You don't know what's going to happen out there. And you you have learned about pacing because you've mentioned it a couple of times that you went out too hot in some of the other races. So I know there's no way you're going to make that mistake in this race. If you did, I'd be like, sorry, I'm not coaching anymore on. You're not really doing this pacing thing right. So I'm out of here. But so thankfully you knew not to go out too aggressive. Because if you, in truth, I would say it's probably harder in the first half, wouldn't you say, than the second half in terms of course profile or no? What do you, what do you think? In terms of which 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 end of the course is harder? The first half is definitely harder. I think everyone that I've spoken to and having done it twice, it's always hillier than I think it's going to be. Agreed. Agreed. And you know, we you know, we spent a lot of time running miles in the park and I've still been doing it forever. So for me, I like hilly courses anyway, but yeah, it it is way more hilly than people think. And I think, you know, when you're strong and you run hills well, CIM is a great course for you. And if you can run the pacing right and not go too far out of your skis early and you have held yourself like within containment control, 
you can you can finish that race strong. So now, you know, the pressure's off. You don't even know if you're going to make it there. You know, you got other things going on. Other body parts are kicking in, knee issues. I mean, who knows what the hell's going to happen here. But so, so take us out there. Like you start the race. Did you jump in with, I heard the sub three group went out hot because Michelle Baxter was just on and you guys literally finished seconds apart. So I just know from talking to her that she literally did not see the sub three pace group and she did not pass them to like 24 and a half, almost 25 miles. She never saw them the entire day. So um, now then again, we all know it, it can be a few seconds a mile can make a big difference. You know, maybe she just started off a little slower or maybe she just didn't get into the right spot in the corral to kind of, you know, to kind of see them. Um, so were you just like going off and running your own race at this point or had you like tried to hook up with that group? Like how did, how did you manage the first part of the race? quite honestly i never saw the sub three pacer i i know i positioned myself at the start between the 255 and the three hour group but i never saw them so maybe she's right but at the same time i i was i was just running my own race um and the first three miles again nothing went right like i rookie mistake i forgot to turn off my um my auto lap on my garment <laughs> Which, you know, I, I love to split my own watch because otherwise it just throws me off. And so I had already started my garment. I'm like playing around with my watch in that first mile, trying to turn off that auto lap, which was fine. And then in the second mile, I was wearing this necklace that was given to me from my sister. I call it my good luck necklace. And it, it started to get tangled. I don't know why I trained with it, but it started to get tangled. And so I just took it off and then I dropped it. So I'm like, okay, well, there goes my good luck. <laughs> And then, and then at mile three, my friend Anna, who I met actually at a state PCC practice. Um, so she actually moved out to Denver, Colorado, and she was running with her friend Kim. And through text messages, I knew Anna's and Kim's goal was to go under three hours. And Anna's just one of those people that I've always been super comfortable running next to. Like she just brings good energy and confidence. And so I found them and we just, we worked together the entire way. And it was like, it was like my life was coming around full circle because here I am training in California. I've got my Boulder friends um, running this race and I also have my New York friends running this race. So it's, it's like everyone from my different chapters of my life has kind of like come together. And it was just so great running with them. Like we worked as a team. Um, when I missed my water cups, they would give me theirs. And we just, we were consistent um, throughout the halfway points. And every water station, we would stop and regroup, make sure everyone was there. Um, and yeah, so I, I would say we all ran together up until mile 18. And then it was um, me and Kim. I knew Kim was going to drop me at some point because she looked good. She looked real good. And, but I felt good, which was interesting because I've, I've heard these stories that, you know, you can feel good at mile 20 and you can feel good at mile 22. I just didn't think it was possible. And yeah, like at mile 18, I kind of already knew like today was going to be the day. Like I've, I've never felt that good or that fresh at mile 18. And then at mile 20, it was going to be like, okay, there might actually be a kick left here. And then at mile 22, you know, it was like, okay, well, we're both going to PR today, but it's going to be a question of how far under three hours are we going to go? And I honestly, we just, I kept a consistent pace all the way until mile 24. And then I slowed down a little bit, but honestly, not by that much. So it was honest. It was a perfect race. I really can't complain. 
That's awesome. Well, you got to work with some people you know, which is always going to be a big positive benefit. And listen, let's face it, call it what it is. Most people don't ever want to say it. There's certain people you just wouldn't want rolling up to you in a race. I know that's (laughs) true for me. And just whether they, some people can really relax us and really make us feel comfortable and other people know, like you might feel more agitated or more stressed and like, that's a blessing, you know, that's a blessing and you got to take advantage of that. Um, and you know, the signs, if you're a reader of omens, listen to good luck necklace, that's not, that's definitely not the right sign, you know, starting off early, but you know, you gotta just, you gotta keep rolling, man. And you gotta see what the day's going to present itself. And yeah, I'm, I'm positive because I remember that point specifically with Michelle that she literally did not catch them till 24 and a half or 25. She never saw them the whole day. So again, a pace group when you're, yeah, when you're pacing the three hour group or the 255 group, that doesn't mean you're going to run an even split a lot of times those groups will go off a minute or two minutes faster at the half and, you know, not hating on any pacers because I appreciate every single one of them. A lot of my good friends do that. You know, they pace the sub three groups or, you know, even faster groups or slower groups. I mean, you know, three thirty, four hours because those people need those times for a BQ or say, or say. So it's a lot of, you know, community service to offer that up. But if you're going to depend on somebody for your race, depend on yourself. Um, and that's a really valuable lesson. Like you talked about with the auto lap, you know, now CIM happens to be a really good race for GPS. I mean, there's not any huge buildings around. It's not like the Tokyo marathon where you're running by the government center and there's like massive skyscrapers everywhere. And, you know, Chicago, good luck. Um, New York starting on the Verrazano and there's 80 helicopters hovering overhead. I mean, we have a lot of races that are just, they're not going to work out well. And turning the auto mile off is a really great tip. And I've, discussed it on other episodes with people, just depending on what their point of view is. But it's a great tip because look, man, if your watch is beeping 20 seconds early and all of a sudden your watch is just off on every single mile, if you look at your average pace per mile and you think you're averaging 643, guess what people? You're not. And if I read one more person tell me they ran 24.8 miles, so they really ran faster, I'm like, really? That's what you think happened. You think you ran, you know, 0.8 miles versus 0.2 or not 24.8, 26.8. Like, no, you didn't. Okay. Maybe you ran an extra 10th. You know, maybe you didn't run your tangent scrape, but you didn't run eight tenths of a mile more. Okay. GPS is not a hundred percent accurate. Get a grip, man. It depends on line of sight. Do you really think that at no point in your race, your watch isn't going to get cut off for a couple of little blips here and there. So the turning off the auto mile is a great tip. Um, and I've, I've actually told people sometimes, uh, you know, in how you approach a race with pacing, sometimes you might want to think about 5K blocks or five mile blocks as opposed to just one mile. Because with course profiles, as we know, some, you know, we got to run the Verrazano in the first mile in New York. That's definitely one of the slowest miles in the whole race. However, if you're not an idiot, the second mile is one of the fastest miles in the race. So if you're just calm and allow yourself to run a 730 or something like that or whatever saying you're trying to run, you're going to get those 30 seconds back or 40 seconds back in a blink. You don't need to like chase it. Um, so that's a good, good tip. Um, now what, what did you go through the half in? 128.58. Ooh, like 129 flat. That's real. <laughs> that's solid, man. That's really solid. Um, and what were you doing for fueling? I took, uh, I took Morton gels. So I took six total, one at the start. Um, so and Ed, then, when you say start, like in the corral? 
Yeah, in the corral. Yeah, yeah. I like to get I like to get the very specific. So in the corral, <laughs> awesome. So before you go up, one in the corral. Okay. Yeah. And I have um so I have six mornings, but three of them are regular and three of them are caffeine. So I like to alternate between the two. Okay. Um so I took I took it at four, eight, twelve, sixteen, twenty. So about every four miles. So every four plus one in the corral. Um, did you drink anything in the morning, you know, any electrolyte, Morton, or anything like that before the race? I'm a big coffee person. So the first thing I do <laughs> in the morning is I go get my Starbucks. And so I'm I'm drinking that. And then afterwards, I'm drinking my um, my noon electrolytes. Okay. Um, and yeah, and I also bring my noon electrolytes to the start. Okay. So you so you have some of that. Yeah, I think it's a good idea because you're like you're preloading a little, and whatever anybody's routine is, like we're gonna need to get the fluids in at some point. You got to get some electrolytes in at some point. So for me, I drink three twenty Morton, um, and I in the New York City Village, we're in the local competitive corral that we get at New York City. Um, I'll start to drink my three twenty bottle, you know, maybe just. 15 minutes or 20 minutes before we start to walk out to get to the bridge. And then I just, sometimes I can make it 10 miles into that race with that bottle because I, I like to drink it slowly. I don't like to, you know, I see, you know, Kip choking these guys, look, their bottles are so small. They have so few ounces in there and they're drinking every five K. So it, it's just so different the way their races, the elite men and women unfold. It's just crazy how different um, it is for them. And also the speeds they're running at that they got to get their fueling down in and they got to <laughs> grab it off the table while they're going by like psycho speeds. So we got your fueling plan down. So every four miles on the gels, Morton, did you say you stopped at the water stops or did I hear that wrong? Uh, no. So, so actually, um, you just reminded me the first six miles I actually ran with a small bottle okay. with my noon endurance, noon endurance in it, which was what they were serving on the course. Um, one thing I learned from running CIM in 2019 was the early miles are so crowded, I can't get to the water stations. And I think at the bigger races like Boston and Chicago, the water stations are, they run for a long time. Like there's a lot of different cups that you can grab versus CIM. It's very short. And so if I can't grab the first one, I don't really have a chance to grab the second water cup. So I started with a bottle. And then after that, um, I basically grabbed every single, um, noon and water cup that was along the course that's a great tip um because i think and chicago doesn't get nearly enough credit i don't know that there's a better race logistically that i would bet if i had all the chips in a poker game their tables are 100 percent the same they're in the same order the gatorade start and there are four six or eight of them and then it's four six or eight water tables and i mean you they're on the left and they're on the right and they're on the left and then you know, whatever, another 25 or 30 yards up, they start up on the right. So depending on what side of the road you're on, you don't have to necessarily change sides. You can kind of pick a side. They're just beautifully, beautifully laid out. And it really makes a huge difference. And in the races that we run, like New York, where we might know people, I can have people out on the course and say, I need a bottle of Morton 320. I need you to be on the southeast corner of XYZ block. And, you know, this year, Amy Amy and Judy were out there and they had a Coke for me on Fifth Avenue because we all know how deathly Fifth Avenue is in New York. <laughs> By that point, you literally want... And then they came, they hugged me. I swear to God, I almost just like said, okay, my race is over here. I almost <laughs> just literally just like decided to stay on the side of the curve over there. I think they were 
or like 101st or 102nd on Fifth Avenue. I was like, I don't want to run to 90th Street. I don't want to go up the hill anymore. <laughs> I want to stop. Okay, so your fueling plan is solid. You're drinking your noon. You're getting some electrolytes in, also solid. Now, with those gels, you don't need water. You can use water, but you don't necessarily have to have them. Do you drink some water with them or no? Not always. Yeah, same here. I just like to, I, I like to get the, the facts from people. This way they know what somebody was using and what worked. So 129 through the half. When did, when did you meet up with them again? Because I know you said you, you were together till like 18, right? Um, yeah, so we were together at 18. And then um, the paces started to drop, actually, because Kim and I felt really good. So we went from running like 648s to like 640s, 642s. Um, and you really start to feel that net downhill of the course. And so that's where I was thinking like, hmm, maybe I might have a kick here at the finish. <laughs> you just, I, there's just so much unknown in the marathon. Like anything can change in the next three miles and the next two miles. And I think coming down that last stretch to the finish, it's, it's just so straight, you know, like you, you feel like you're getting close because you see the crowds and you can feel the energy, but you're also counting down the streets. Like, I, I know the finish line is there, but it just seems like it's so far away until you make that left-hand turn to the finish shoot. And then you know you're home because you make that left, then you're there. So um, And you always have a kick yeah. regardless of what you think. So how deep, I know you said you felt like it was going to go down, like, you know, that you could feel it and, and you had every right to feel it. You're cutting your paces down. You were already inside the number. You were already at 129. You had some cushion built in to start with. Um, but, uh, like, what did it feel like, you know, this was a big time dream. It's coming together. You've had some, you know, you're cutting it down, you're cutting it down. Then you have Chicago where it all goes off the rails. Like, what does it feel like? I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about going through the tape. That's one thing. We just like the last couple of miles, man. What was it like out there? What were you feeling out there? Oh man, Ron, it was like a victory lap. Like, I think there were some points where I just wanted to start bawling my eyes out already. But then, you know, I'm like, okay, keep it controlled. Like, don't let your emotions get a hold of you because anything can change in the last two miles. Like, you can get a calf cramp. Anything can happen. Um, and so I think for me, I was already, like, I was already celebrating in the last couple of miles. Like, it was, that last 10 minutes was tough and it was extremely rough. But I just... I, I knew it was in the bank. It was going to be a good celebration at the finish. That's awesome. And you know what? It should feel like that because it is a fucking celebration, man. You know how many miles you run? You know how many workouts you run? You know how many rough things you have to overcome to get to that point, to have the day when it comes together. And the day that no way on earth are you expecting is going to be that day. And your coach, Matt, sure as hell wasn't expecting it was going to be that day. And I'm sure your boyfriend and your friends that you train with weren't expecting it was going to be that day. And that's why... Man, when you show up at that race, you just got to be prepared, man. You don't know what the day is going to present, okay? And the, the day when you least expect it could be your best day. It could be the day where the magic actually happens. And, you know, that's why you got to go in there with the right attitude, man, and just, you know, just say, hey, man, I'm here. I got my bib on. I'm ready to race. Let's see what happens. And, you know, so as you're getting closer, you know, look, that's one of the best finish lines around. I mean, they have a separate women's and men's finish line. You know, you got the Capitol building behind there. They have the cameras that are literally videoing every single runner. They've got the high speed, 
you know, photographer shooting, you get that entire finish line area where they're shooting you and you got video. I mean, so you have to have some great memories of stuff and shots, right? Videos, photos, everything, right? You have the whole deal, right? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of videos and photos of me just bawling my eyes out at the finish, <laughs> which honestly, like I, I feel like I've, I've dreamt of what it would be like to run under three hours for years and to, and I, I didn't expect it to happen at CAM. Like this was not on the calendar. This was not in the plan. I thought it was, I envisioned it to be at Chicago and it wasn't. And so honestly to cross that finish line, and to see my my friend and assistant coach Nicole, who who was actually in the hotel room with me right after Chicago, like at my lowest point and at my highest point, it was just like that was that was the way I dreamt it to be. So um, yeah, I, I just I gave her the biggest hug at the finish line, and then my coach Matt was just to the left, gave him the biggest hug, and he was just like, "I was tracking you, and I knew you were going to do it. You're just you're totally going to do it." So it was, it was an exciting day all around. That's awesome. And you know, this is, it'd be different if, um, you know, if you ran it in a really small marathon somewhere. And I mean, there really aren't that many really small marathons these days anyway. I mean, the marathon majors are enormous and, you know, with pandemic numbers, they're a lot smaller right now. And who knows, we don't know from one day to the next, what, what the hell is happening anymore, man. It's just, thank God we have running. That's all I could say to anybody. Thank God we have running because I know I wouldn't, yeah. I don't even know where I would be or what, what, what I would look like or feel like if I didn't have that outlet to be able to go outside today in a freezing cold day and just listen to Rivs and, and Tommy, um, you know, talk to Rich Roll just about life and about running and just to be outside. And, you know, I came back and I'm like, man, I'm slow. I'm out of shape. And then, you know, and that's the way it should be. You know, that's the way we are. If you can't be critical with yourself, who else is going to be? But at the same time that I'm like, yeah, I am slow right now and I am out of shape and I just ran 16 miles. Okay. And it's cold as hell. And I know a lot of people wouldn't have run 16 feet on this day. They would have just stayed inside or gone on their treadmill. So, you know, but without that, ability to get out there and do this, we would be in a whole lot different place. So, you know, with the least amount of expectation, not coming in healthy, coming in off a shitty cycle with a reverse taper with knee pain right before you get to the race against all odds, it comes out to be the day of your life. So that's, that's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was, I was extremely emotional at the finish line, but I don't think I was emotional because I saw the clock. I was more or less just, I was overwhelmed at how hard I had to work and fight to just get to that start line. Like every, if I wasn't at work, I was rehabbing, like I was rehabbing more than I was running um, just, just to get to that start line. So I think for me having to go through that process and having to go through Chicago, that's, that's really what made um, CAM the race that it was. Yeah. No, no question. If it, you'd come in off a perfect buildup and run it, you still would have been incredibly proud of your accomplishment. You would have hugged all those women and friends and your coach and all those people. And I'm sure you might've shed a few tears, but it's a whole different ball game when you're spending as much time doing all the rehab, prehab, strengthening to get back just to be able to run. Okay. And not even know. And then, like I said, that then have knee pain and some other stuff. Like, I mean, it is not 
what you would expect by any stretch of the imagination. So when you have to put so much more of yourself in there just to get, have the chance to go out there and do it, yeah, you're going to feel way more gratitude. You're going to feel just way more you know, awesomeness about the experience. And, you know, that's what, that's what the beauty of having a podcast is, man. You could share your story with all kinds of other people for anybody else who's broken or injured or had a <laughs> shitty training cycle. You know, if they get after their rehab and they get after their strengthening and they find somebody in their community that's going to help rebuild them and get back to it. But, you know, the, the moral of the story is you wanted to get back out there. Okay. Nobody can drive that process, but the runner, man. Matt didn't drive it. You know, your boyfriend doesn't drive it. Other runners on your team don't drive it. You got to drive it. Ein's got to be the driver and saying, I fucking want in. I want another shot. You're the one who called and said you wanted to do CIM, even though you only had a very narrow period of time because you got cheated. You know, let's call it what it is. You got cheated. You felt like you got cheated. You wanted another swing. And, you know, you have the drive. You have the spirit. You wanted to take a crack at it. So, you know, I applaud people like that who are not willing to accept, you know, that it didn't, you know, I'm not okay with this. And I'm not, not only am I not okay with this, I'm going to do something about it, man. I'm going to freaking roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get back to work. Because um, that's the moral of the story. Because you had to figure out your underlying issues and you had to strengthen all the those imbalances and deal with all those areas that were causing you issues just to get healthy enough to run again. 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there. So I think you need to write a book on your rehab plan <laughs> that you had from your specific, because think about it. Like, I mean, there's all kinds of books written, but write one specifically mm -hmm. about you coming back from this injury. Like, that's it. Be as specific as possible. That's it. Here's what I did. Here are my routines. Here's my stuff. Here's my accreditation. And here you go, man. You need you need to overcome this injury. Hit me up. You know, reach out to me. I'll put a plan together for you. And you know, this way, get some people. You know, that are going through the same challenge that you faced, and get them back out there. Where you just can't promise them that they're going to run a sub three. That's the only thing. Uh, that's uh, that's funny you bring that up, Ron, because uh, I think early on the first run that I was able to do after that hamstring strain, I I texted my coach and I was like. I swear if I can claw myself out of this situation and just get back to racing, I'm going to sell this rehab program. Like it, it is, don't worry, Ron, it's written down. Everything is there. Do it, do it, do it. And as soon as, the, as, soon as you publish it, as soon as it comes out, you're coming back on the show. We're going to promote the hell out of that shit. And we're going to make sure everybody's tuned in. But look, this is, this is what it, this is what it is, man. We got to share, man. It's, Running is community. It is community. That is what our sport is. And New York, Boulder, the Bay Area, wherever we go, wherever our travels are, it all came full circle. We talked about that in the beginning. We're talking about it now at the end. I mean, that's the way life can be sometimes. So seeing runners from New York out there, seeing runners from Boulder, like that was all meant to happen in one way. Losing that necklace was not meant to happen, but... <laughs> You know, I don't know who you could have gone back to try to find it and run 305. I mean, you know. That's, that's okay. Every Everything's replaceable, Ron. It was worth it. Oh, heck yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and let me tell you something. If my brothers gave me something like that that meant something to me, they they would ex they would understand it in a, in a heartbeat. You know, <laughs> they would be like, man, exactly. you ran your time, man. Way to go. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. So, um, so you got to be feeling like you know, cloud nine still, or is it starting to kind of come back to normal a little? Or are we still feeling that like glow and feeling awesome? 
what's funny is, you know, it's only two weeks ago, but it feels like it happened so long ago. Um, I can honestly say that I've ran very little in the last two weeks. Um, I, I realized that I've ran a lot of long races this year, more so than I, I ever have, like grandma's getting ready for that Iceland trail race, getting ready for Chicago, then racing CIM. Um, I, I just, I've never ran or prepared for that many marathons. So for me, just taking that downtime in December is going to be extremely important. And yeah, like I'm still, I'm still on cloud nine. Um, every time I look at that picture, I, I still tear up inside and, um, yeah, just thinking about goals for next year. I love it. I have um, this. You need to get this. Hang on. I want to show you in one second. Here. So there's a company called, I think it's Marathon Memories. I'll send you the link. But these are miniature. Look how small this is. So this is <laughs> yeah. when I this is when I ran all six majors in the same year. And it has the real wow. Abbott logos. So I've seen people who ran their fastest Boston or the fastest New York. But when I'm telling you, the finish line, it's, you know, with the full thing, it's the real, yeah. because he'll take that picture. I don't know if he uses 3D technology for the printing, but it's amazing. So your shot. You have you, to send me that Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will send it to you because I've, I've got so much business um, for this guy's company. I, I don't know if he's in Korea or Japan, but he's amazing. Like the six star medal that you see over my mm -hmm. shoulder, right? He's made those into pillows for people. Pillows, like on a couch. It's the exact, <laughs> I mean, keychains, like anything to do with running. But the coolest one is the finish line because, you know, it has the overhang with the CIM, the whole thing. It's like you're coming through with the clock right on top of there. It is the best. And it's so small. So it could go on your desk or, you know, your PT place, wherever. I mean, I just think it's my favorite memento thing and um, that I've come across. So yeah, I'll I'll send you send you the link for that so we can get you hooked up for one of those because you need you need that, and then you got to figure out what's going to be the next big goal and recovery is important, super important, and I'm glad you're looking at it that way because um, even though you came out of it and you finished really strong and had a breakthrough race, like it's a good time to really let it roll. Like man, go in the pool and swim, ride a bike, ride a mountain bike, like get off your you know, the pounding and all of that other stuff, but just keep your cardio up, man. Do some other stuff, you know, focus on your patience for a little while, soak it all in, and then, you know, build your plan for next year, you know, and speed, you got to keep focusing on your speed, man, speed and strength, exactly. you know, because if you want to take that, you know, 258 down, you know, to 250 and you can, you know, you got to be able to run much faster in the half and 10K. So, you know, and you got a great coach. So I'm sure Matt, is like preaching to you about all this stuff and you know what's going on. You have your own coaching certification. So you, you know, what's up, but that's, that balance is really important too for turnover, for speed. And even cross country is good for your strength, you know, to keep some Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, I look, I look forward to spending the next half of the year, just focusing on 5k to half marathon. Like I love the short races and I'm excited to return to that. Awesome. So before we roll out, two things I want to just get to. Um, I want you to talk a little about your physical therapy business in like the Bay Area, because to give you a little plug for your business and this, you know, we'll link it up in the show notes and then a little bit about community service. So, and, and it's kind of what you're doing is very much community service anyway, but just kind of let's finish on that note if we can. Yeah. So um, as most people know, I grew up on the East Bay and so it's it's so important for me to now come back to the Bay Area and bring all of this knowledge and experience that I've gained running in New York City and, and getting my education in New York City and then training in Boulder and coming back now 
So um, for me to share that knowledge and experience with locals of the Bay Area is so important to me. So that's where community service comes in. Um, I do Wellness Wednesday community workshops at Renegade Running. Renegade Running is this super cool, awesome shoe store in Oakland, California. They actually opened during the pandemic. They are so much more than a shoe store. Um, They do everything for the community and really they focus on um, diversity and inclusion and building a community around that. So I do workshops once a month um, on injury prevention and then a future one on strength, uh, strength training. And then on top of that, I also have my physical therapy business that I started this year. It started small. It was, it was just a blog and now it's, now it's grown into an Instagram page, a YouTube channel and a website. And so I do, um, physical therapy in person at Renegade Running. So they have a beautiful top four loft um, that I operate out of, and I only see runners there. And then I also do virtual strength programming. So this is all customized. I don't sell any cookie cutter programs just because every runner is so different and I can't give the same program to, you know, a 20-year-old versus a 60-year-old. Like I have to treat them as an individual and I also need to take it into account what races they have on the calendar and how I'm going to help them peak for those certain races. So I have their strength program laid out through an app. I also have prehab programs for them based off of what their um, individual injuries look like and mobility programs to keep them healthy. And then um, another component I offer is run coaching. So whether you're a recreational runner, whether you're an elite runner, um, I work with everyone in between. Love it. That's great. And um, it's fantastic that you hooked up with the Renegade Running Store. It sounds like such a great fit um, because you can do organized runs with them and discuss injury prevention, prehab, all that stuff. It just fits so well. Um, And the diversity piece is is super, super important. And sadly for me, I've been an Oakland Raider fan my whole life. Now they're in Las Vegas, but I used to go out to- I didn't know that. Yeah, I've been a Raider fan since I'm eight years old. So, um, and still, and always will be. Um, So I'm silver and black, you know, died died in the wool, you know, totally. And it's Renegade. I mean, that's like me, I'm a Renegade. (laughs) So I love the name of that store too, Renegade's Running Store. I definitely got to get out there and check it out, man. It sounds like a great place, but- um, you had a quote in something you sent to me. You said, there's a quote I love. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. That's awesome. Um, so being involved in that community there as you are, you know, get in there further, man. Because look, it's all about giving back at any age. You know, you're super young, but you're paying attention to that. And that's really important because the more we focus on helping others, um, the more things come back to us in life. Maybe not right away. It might come back way down the road, but it's uh, it's really cool that you're uh, connecting in the community there and it will help you grow all the facets of your business. And, you know, definitely time to start working on the book. I mean, it's, it's basically, we've already, <laughs> we've already you. pitched it. So, you know, it's time, time to get that, time to get that idea rolling and, and put it into right. practice. So, but, you know, and, there's, I think as a, yeah, as a physical therapist, there's just so much. There's so much that I wish I had known um, about injury prevention, about just basic things that everyone should do. Um, and yeah, sharing that with the community is is a really great way to easily do that. Great stuff, and also a great place for us to land it on such a positive on such a positive note. So, I always say at the end of every episode, we tell people to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. And like the sign says behind me over my shoulder, always remember to stay in the fight.
Wow. What an amazing story. Of, for those old enough to remember Wide World of Sports, <laughs> there probably aren't that many listening to my show that are. They used to do a segment called The Agony and the Ecstasy. They used to frequently show skiers crashing down a mountain. And then, you know, the next cut would be them winning the downhill for gold. And I kind of felt like there was a little bit of that going on with Ein's story. Um, so fit, so strong, so ready to go to Chicago and ready to take that next step and have the breakthrough. And then just having, you know, an injury just appear out of nowhere. We've all been there. How many of us have felt the taper crazies or taper madness? And all of a sudden the phantom injury appears, except this time it was actually a real injury. Um, and kudos to her for having enough common sense to walk off the course. Um, sure, she was hurting and in pain, but how many of us push through in these situations and hobble through a race thinking that that's where we earn our badge of armor and we're going to show everybody how tough we are? And, you know, I'm guilty of it too. I talk about staying in the fight and being tough and being gritty and grinding. And, you know, there are times when you have to learn when it's best to surrender to that day. Um, and I think her unique skill set as a doctor of physical therapy and a certified strength and conditioning coach helped her navigate and make that decision properly. Um, and she looked for the punch out. She got the hell off of that course. And she had to deal with a lot of emotions and feelings about um, what that meant to her. And, you know, again, how she felt like she didn't get it done and she let herself down and maybe her coach and her her close group of friends, you know, that were supporting and following her so much. So to come back just eight weeks later to build, you know, that rehab and strength program to get herself back to being healthy, um, to not even know five days before the race that she was going to be able to run and to just show up there and meet uh, someone she'd met in New York City. You know, that's why the title of this is, uh, you know, what it is for the episode. Um, I just felt like it was fitting, coming full circle, calling on all experiences to achieve sub three. Um, you know, she went to New York to get her, you know, doctor of physical therapy at Columbia, and she hooked up with a runner she had met, you know, while running for Central Park Track Club in New York. She'd moved to Boulder and met her coach and many other top athletes training in Boulder and made her way back to the Bay Area, you know, to get her, you know, PT practice off the ground and back to her roots, you know, where she's from. So I kind of felt like that was the proper title for this one. So anyway... I'm so inspired uh, by Ayn's running and what she's doing in the run community with her PT and strength and conditioning practice and working with, um, you know, the Renegade running group there in Oakland. Uh, it sounds like they got a great thing going out there and I'll have to make my way out there at some point. So I hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. And as always, um, your shares on Instagram, on Facebook, on Strava or any platform out there where athletes and runners exist that need a little inspo. Um, it makes such a difference and help bring us new listeners to the Run Chats pod and platform. And it means the world to me. And, uh, and if you can also take that extra step to hop, hop on Apple Podcasts and write a review, um, that really pays off big time. And it definitely helps me continue to get great guests like I to come on here and share their inspiring stories. So I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and holiday season, whatever holidays you were celebrating over that period of time. I hope you're all looking forward to a much better 2022. I know I am. And uh, I know what's going to help us all get there. Keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out.